You know, when we think about uh, Christianity, most of us function uh, a lot like our smartphones. You know, if you pull up your smartphone, Jesus is kind of the app in our life that we go to when things get hard, get difficult, get frustrating. You know, it's like when things don't quite go our way or we're feeling overwhelmed, we click the Jesus button and we're looking for a little bit of peace, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of hope. But the problem with that is that Jesus doesn't desire to be an application in your life. He really desires to be the operating system. And that operating system causes everything to work well. And it's an operating system that is so counterintuitive to what the world offers as an operating system for your life. Because the world offers us an operating system where it talks about you got to be the best, you got to be the greatest, you got to try harder, you got to do more, you got to be good enough for things to work out in your life. It's always a step up culture, it's always an upgrade culture. And in that operating system, Wears people out. In our culture, in this day and age, we have more people with digestive issues, more people that are wrestling with depression, anxiety, and feelings of being overwhelmed than we have ever had. It's almost pandemic in our country. And it's like we are running ourselves into the ground with this basic operating system being the greatest, the best, the fastest, the smartest. When you look at God's operating system, it's a very different operating system, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because God asks us to do a few things spiritually. The next slide will show you God is calling us to go from spiritual death into spiritual life. And the way God talks about that is through a very different operating system. We don't work our way out of dead. You know, we're dead spiritually. You cannot respond. You cannot come back to life unless something from the outside works within. It's going from darkness to light. You know, anytime you've tried to face your own darkness, anytime you have faced the darkness in the world and tried to be light or find light, you know how completely overwhelming that is. And the idea of doing more, trying harder, and being good enough to make that happen You know what that's like. You know the futility of that. To go from brokenness to healing, right? There's not an area of our world, there's not an area in culture that is not broken at some level. Our news feeds are flooded with it each and every day. We're confronted with it, whether we want to be confronted with it or not. And there is this collective cry within our world, within our culture for healing, for things to change. But the minute you wade into that dialogue, the minute you try to bring, you know, some sense of healing in there, you know how overwhelmingly impossible it is to resolve any of the issues that you face personally and that we face within our world. See, God is calling us from death, darkness, and brokenness into life, light, and healing, and it's an impossible task. This is really the mission of the church, right? We're supposed to be instruments of life. We're supposed to be examples of light. We're supposed to be places of healing. And that is an impossible task because, see, God's operating system is different than the world's operating system. God doesn't use the smartest, the greatest, the fastest, and the best. God has an operating system of weakness. There's not a chapter within the Bible that that truth is not screaming off of the page. How God takes the weak, the insignificant, the small, the easy to overlook, and does phenomenal, incredible things. In fact, he demands that that is the only way anything significant happens in anyone's life individually or any group of people's lives collectively. Think about it, David and Goliath. David wasn't even included in the sons to be considered to lead. 
the nation of Israel. It's like David is so insignificant. He is so small and so unimportant and so a guy that takes care of sheep. Why would we ever want him as a leader of the nation of Israel? Yet, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He was saying, I can't do it, but God can. You nailed it. Let's pray. That's awesome. <laughs> That's it right there. Simplicity. Do you see that? And so much of what we do in church is so complex. So much of what we do in our spiritual life is so complex. And God is just looking for simple trust. Simple trust. God, I can't. Those are the best words that you could ever utter out of your mouth. They're the position of power according to God's word. So today, I want to talk to you and give you three reasons why we need to embrace weakness. Three reasons why we need to embrace weakness. The first one is this. Because we need to see the power of Jesus working in our life. Listen, if you come in there thinking that you're going to accomplish anything spiritually for God, you are going to miss God and you're going to feel like a complete failure. God does not want you to come with it all together. God is not asking for you to church yourself up. You don't come to salvation saying, I'm going to clean myself up so I can present myself to God so he'll actually love me and want me. God says that while you were in your deepest, darkest act of sin, while you were a sinner in the practice of sin, I loved you and I demonstrated my love for you by the cross. And he asked for us to come to him just as we are. But we think we got to make ourselves presentable, right? we got to clean ourselves up a little bit before God can actually accept us. That's not true. We need to see the power of God working in our lives. And the only way for the power of God to work in our lives is to do what these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10 teach us. Here's Paul. He's serving Jesus, doing incredible things on the mission field. And he has this incredible problem in his life. And what's beautiful about this passage is it doesn't tell us what his thorn in the flesh was. We just know that it was a messenger from Satan. It tormented him. It drug him down. It wore him out. And it brought him to his knees over and over again. And it said that he came at three very specific points in his life where he fell on the ground, grieving in the fetal position, pleading with God to take that away so that he could have power in his life. And God finally says, after the third time of him doing that, he says, each time he said to me, my grace is all that you need. Now, so what happened is, is that Paul faced a weakness that made him need God's grace. Paul had some kind of temptation that caused him to rely on God's covering in his life or relied on God's ability in his life. And each time God says that my ability, my covering is all you need. But God, I would be able to do so much more. I would be so much better if I could do away with this. And God's like, no, you wouldn't. You would be arrogant. You would be a tool. And you would start to think that you were the answer to the world. But in this position, you realize that you bring nothing to the table. He goes on. He says, my power works best. My power works best when you're not competing, when you're not in the way, when you're weak. Think about it. What is it in your life that you want to see God do? Maybe some of you think about our community. What is it that you want to see God do in our community? And some of you are like, I can't even think about that because I'm trying to figure out my life. That's cool. 
because it's got to start inside of you. It's got to start inside of me. What do you want to see him do? Whatever it is, it's impossible. It's impossible. Apart from God, it's impossible. But by faith, trusting in God, it is possible. My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying, I press into this thing and I face this opposition and I don't see it as something that disconnects me from God. I see it as the very reason why I need God. So think about it. The next time you run up against that wall and you're overwhelmed, the next time that you feel like you, do, you can't pray and you don't want to pray, the next time you open the Bible and it's like, man, this isn't, I might as well be reading this in French because I don't speak French and I don't understand a word that's coming off the page. I'm weak. It's in those moments Will you, will you own it and say, God, this is why I need you. This is why you gave me the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me into all truth. It's not about me and my nifty little study plan. This is about, God, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want to remind me of today? It's letting go of your self-effort. That's weakness. And saying, God, you are strong. In fact, the only way I'm going to experience your power, the only way it's going to work best is when I come and say, it's not about me. It's not up to me. It's incredible truth. Second one is this. The second reason that we need to embrace weakness is because we need to see the power of Jesus working in our city. So we talked about it starting to work in our life. And we want to see that work in our families. But eventually we want that to trickle out, right? Can any of you think of anybody in your life that doesn't know Jesus? Or maybe somebody that used to walk with Jesus and has kind of checked out and your heart just really hurts for them? Do you have anybody like that in your life? I hope you do. When you look out over this community, what do you see? As you talk to people in the coffee shops, what do you hear? See, some of you guys wonder what I do with my day. I set a goal to meet 100 new people in 100 days, three times a year. See, when we start talking about 89,000 unreached people in our community, that was really inspiring for like the first two minutes that I began this journey, and then it's like, eh, it's 89,000. so overwhelming. But when it's my neighbor, it's my barista, this person at my favorite restaurant, Andrew's co-workers, they're people with stories, their faces, they're people that impact our life. 
people that really push us back against religion and say, you know what, I can't offer them the trite religious answer, just come to church and your life will be better, because that's not true. It's not even true for you. I mean, what do you say to somebody who is being beaten by their boyfriend? What do you tell them about Jesus? What do you say to somebody that has been deeply victimized? How do you share the gospel with them? What do you say to somebody whose entire experience with Christians has been nothing but judgment and hate? What do you say to them? I'm supposed to have the answers, right? I don't. And it pushes me deeper into my relationship with Jesus. It pushes me deep into the areas where I've not relied on the Lord. It pushes me back against, you know, counseling answers and trite gospel presentations. And it leaves me with a heart that breaks because the people the Jesus that people see isn't really Jesus at all see church we're not trying to get people to come to church we got to get that out of our heads because for 85% of the congregations in our country, no matter what size they are, they are plateaued and declining. Some of them are very large churches that are plateaued and declining. The answer isn't get them to church. We've been doing that for decades. And we find ourselves at a crossroads where people are still struggling with the same questions. And it seems like darkness is winning the songs that we sing and the words that are spoken to us really don't matter. We're not trying to lead people to church. We're trying to lead people to Jesus. We're trying to help people see Jesus. We're trying to figure out what that looks like in our own life and invite somebody to say, follow me as I follow Jesus, right? That's what this is about. That's my job. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to experience Jesus. And I want that to, to, to fill you and fill your home and to fill our city, and the result of people meeting Jesus is church. Where do we see this? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. says this. Remember, <laughs> because it's easy to forget. Remember, dear brothers and sisters... That few of you were wise in the world's eyes and powerful or wealthy when God called you. Listen, think about it. For me, I was 20 years old. There was nothing glamorous about my life. People hear my testimony. I don't like to talk about my testimony because they're like, man, God did this incredible thing. It's like, yeah, with a very stupid man. An arrogant, pathetic, stupid man. 
led me into the pit of darkness. And somehow we want to glorify where I was and not the work that God has done in my life. Some of you were like six when God called you. You're at a vacation Bible school, man. You were memorizing those verses and you heard the gospel message in its simplicity. And you're like, dude, I need to trust Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. And you did. And you were six. And you became a world changer. And the world's like, no. There's not a person that doesn't come to Jesus as nothing. We all do. And that's the beauty of it. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes and powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things in the world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And he goes on and he says, he says, so where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God is the wis- in his wisdom saw to it that, he would never, that we would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Think about that. It's not about the clever presentation. It's not about the next creative thing. It's not about being the next voice for Christianity. It's about the simple person who understands this simple message that God loved us and desires us and everything in us cries out for him. And there are a million barriers between us and God that keep us from sensing God's presence because we're selfish and we rebel and we want to do things our way. And instead of God hating his children, he loved his children. He came to his children to embrace his children. And he was willing to do whatever it takes to set them free from the mess that they have made for their own lives. It's a simple, profound message. Jesus dying on the cross was to enter into our mess that we created and to pull us out of that mess because he's a dad who loves his children, period. Not because you're a great child. Not because you're an awesome child. Not because you're gonna be the kid that's gonna make his dad proud because he's already proud of you just as you are. No pretense, no performance, just passion. Just passion. Relentless, undying, unending passion for you. And it's foolish, right? How many parents have you talked to have had a kid just run them through the ringer? They steal from them, they sneak out at night, they pawn their car. And the advice is, kick them out. Get rid of them. You don't need them. Teach them. God's like, I'm not kicking you out. I'll come and sit in jail with you. I'll sit there and listen to you spew venom against me. I will let you hate me and punch me in the face. And I will take my last breath pursuing you in that way in hopes that you will see my love. 
It's a foolish, foolish way to live. And it's incredibly powerful. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, religious and irreligious, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. So even God on his bad day is better than anything that man can provide. The third reason that we need to embrace weakness is that the world needs to see the power of Jesus working in us. The world doesn't need your facade of morals, your top ten list of sins. They don't, they don't, they don't need to see you nailing that list. Nobody cares. The world needs to see your weakness. They need to hear your brokenness. They need to hear how you're leaning into Jesus for hope and strength each and every day. They need to hear it's like, man, I wrestle with feeling overwhelmed and I'm turning to Jesus and realizing that I'm trying to control life and really I just need to trust that God's in control of all things. I feel overwhelmed when I try to fix things that I cannot fix. People need to hear that. How are you able to, to wake up and go at it the next day? Because I know that Jesus cares for me. It sounds really trite, doesn't it? It's not if it's true. It's only trite if you're feeding people a line of crap. Our world reads right through that. Sincerity of faith. Authenticity. Community. However you want to label it in Christian language. People want to see an honest pursuit of Jesus. That's what they want. They want to see it work. They want to know that they can come to you and just trust you a little bit. To open their life up just a little bit. So that you could speak life into them. The world needs to see the power of Jesus. We see this. In the book of Acts, it starts off with people were talking about the kingdom of God. What happens when God gets his way? And then in Acts 1.8, it turns around and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God's presence will take up resonance within you, and that's when power happens because God's there. His power's there. You're weak. He's strong. And then from there, they start taking this incredible message of weakness and God's power working in weakness to the nations. And within a few years, they went from a few hundred people to about 300,000 Christ followers. Simple message. What happens when God gets his way? I'm weak and he is strong and he wants to work in your weakness and bring healing and light and life. And there are a bunch of guys that didn't have seminary. There are a bunch of guys that weren't theological scholars at the time. There are a bunch of guys who we read about and, and are blown away by their story. And we try to make it an intellectual ascent. 
That if we just know enough and put enough systematic theology, and if we can read a bookshelf this big of saying how God works, which is really foolish, we're trying to figure out how we can mimic God's power. When it was all about receiving it, it's really simple. God, I can't, you can, end of the story. And then what's written on those pages and the volumes and volumes of information about your life and your story joins a collective story of the men and women that we read about in the Bible where God works in weakness and does incredibly powerful things. Entire families turning to Jesus, entire cities turning to Jesus, and other cities refusing to embrace the gospel. Even there, there's power. Even there, when people try to squelch it out and stomp it out and beat it out and rip people apart to get them to deny their faith, God's power is so strong that it's unstoppable. It actually multiplies the message. It pushes people deeper into relationship. It causes them to cry out more in weakness to receive more power, and that power changes lives. This is what the world needs. They don't need this. We come here to remind ourselves that God is bigger and closer than any of us dare imagine. That's why we gather, period. It's only good for those that believe. And those that are curious about what belief is. But they're not going to be in this room. I promise you. I promise you I've been doing this 25 years. And over this past week, I can't think of one person in hundreds and hundreds of people that I've seen come to know Christ that ended up in this room without somebody within this room touching them in their place of life. Not a one. Not a one. And these men and women live this message, and in Acts chapter 4, here's what it says. The members of the council that called them together and said, you got to stop this talk. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures, just ordinary people praying to Jesus every day, remembering what Jesus told them every day, reminding each other of what Jesus told them every day. Just ordinary people remembering Jesus every day. And they also recognized them as who had been with Jesus. When people look at you, Do they recognize Jesus? It means coming to him in weakness, saying, God, I can't today. I can't put two words of prayer together today. Some of you are there. Some of you are like, I don't want to put two words in prayer together today, Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm done. And you want to know what the Bible says? That the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf, praying the words that you can't even form. 
You can't quit. It's his power. It's not even about your desire. It's just whether you want to see God work in your life. He's already working. There's the disconnect. Somehow I got to do something. I got to feel it. I got to be it before God will do it. That's not true. God's doing it. And you just say, God, help me see it. It's that level of weakness. God, I know you want me to talk to my neighbors about faith. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to say. Perfect. God actually said in Luke chapter 11 that when you enter up into front of people and be handed over to be executed for your faith and you don't know what to say, trust me, I will give you what you need to say in that hour. I don't think your neighbor's going to kill you for your faith. So if God can go to the extreme, I'm pretty sure he can handle your connection with your neighbors. It's weakness. There's freedom in it. It lets you off the hook. In other words, that you can't fail and hinder the God in God's kingdom and you can't perform to make it work. It's freedom. Because see, when we turn around and say, oh man, I failed and I didn't do this right and I didn't do this right and I've, I've, I've held God back, what you're really saying is, is that when I nail it, it happened because I did it. If you can own the failure, then you own the success, and it's pride. Weakness. That's the place where we find God's power. See, the bottom line is this. Jesus used everyday people who lived in everyday faith in everyday life to change the world. Jesus used everyday people, just ordinary people. Mechanical engineers. God uses stay-at-home moms. God uses store managers. God uses city planners. God uses those that work in nonprofit. God uses those that work in the theater. God uses little children that go to school every day. God uses those people. Because they have an everyday faith. It's like, Jesus, I just need you today. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to fake it until I make it. I'm just going to be there. I don't get it sometimes. I'm frustrated. I'm overwhelmed. And that's the best place I can be. Your word says that's the best place because your power will be there. Help me to see your power today to sustain me. And that lived out in your everyday life changes the world. That. See, God put it like this. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. What you're striving to be is the person that God can look down on. You say, you know what? I'm looking around, I see Rick, and I'm gonna ask Rick to do this because I know his heart is completely mine. He'll do whatever I ask him to do. It's God looking down and saying, Phil, 
I'm calling on you today because I know your heart's mine and you'll do whatever I ask you to do. Megan, I can count on you. I know you'll do it because you've given me your heart. Not your strength, but your weakness. Greg, Tamara, Chris, Amber, Scott. You're looking. He wants to use you in all your weakness. He wants to take that moment where you push through whatever it is you're struggling with to find that moment of healing. That, that, that's power. Share it. Don't church yourself up. Tell people your 12 steps of how you became right with God. Nobody wants to hear that garbage. You don't want to hear it out of me. No one wants to hear it. They want honest pursuit and brokenness. They want to know where God is at in those moments. We give them your heart, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, what you see as disgusting that God sees as beauty. It's right there that you'll find them and nowhere else.